1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Have you gained the so-called quarantine 15 or the COVID-19 since the pandemic began? According to a new survey conducted by Leger and the Association of Canadian Studies, a third of respondents say they have packed on the pounds since March in part because of the stress eating related to a fear of COVID-19. But on the flip side, two-thirds have either stayed the same or lost weight. Libby was joined by nutritionist and author Rose Reisman, owner of Rose Reisman Catering, and Dr. Sean Wharton, medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic in Burlington, who actually took issue with the study. Libby asked him why. Anyone that has a particular Stress and emotional factor in their life is
2: at risk for the behaviors that they don't want to actually do. So we know that that this is actually a, a real thing for people who struggle with 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 elevated weight, and so it's, so this kind of this um, observation makes makes sense. The study doesn't make any sense. It's a very bad study. It's not real research. It's not properly documented. It doesn't really tell us whether actual weight has actually gone up, but the concepts that, um, that stress and emotions can drive behaviors that somebody's trying to, um, to make better is certainly,
3: is certainly real. Uh, Rose, what have you found with your
4: clients? Um, Absolutely. I think people are are emailing me all the time to just say, you know, I know what to do, but I can't do it while I'm stuck at home. And I think part of it is, you know, I I recommend, and even myself the first month, I was baking more and I was, you know, nibbling more and I put on a few pounds. And then I said, get back to your routine. So for me, it's like whatever you did in your routine before COVID, try to get back to that. and Have a very structured day. So in other words, I, I think get out of your pajamas, like everybody wears a pajama bottoms on Zoom. Get out of it and just imagine you're back in your office, set up how you would normally eat your breakfast, your lunch, bring your snacks along. Um, and, and, you know, exercise is a crucial part. And as the winter comes on, it's harder for people, no question. But even if you can just walk a short distance, do something online, virtual classes are great. So it's a bit of motivation, a little bit of a, you know, kick in your own derriere to just say, listen, this might go on for a few more months, and we know it will. We're not getting out there so quickly. Spring is a long way off. We just can't let this happen. And as we all know, and, and doctor, you know as well, that we don't want any um, other illnesses to affect us during this time. But what's been
2: interesting in this is that, is that this,
4: there may be a little bit of a twist here. The
2: resilience of the, of Canadians to actually potentially do better during this lockdown that many of the gyms went to online and virtual. Many people are at home, not eating out at restaurants or cooking their own foods. They're thinking about their own health maybe even more so because they're stuck at home and thinking, my goodness, my weight may go up and my health may end up getting worse and I may not have as easy access to a doctor. So what we're seeing in the hospital setting is that we're getting less visits in the emergency department for things that we would normally see very frequently. People are at home trying to manage themselves even better. It's been this this resilience of Canadians to to decrease the obesogenic Environment that they previously had and possibly do a little bit better that's that 's the twist that we 're also seeing in this entire picture
3: I would be inclined to believe that a lot of people are are gaining weight yeah,
4: uh, from what I see from yeah i mean i i think it's look at i think it 's a very positive attitude, but I think Um, We're getting tired of this, and I know fatigue, anxiety does cause people to eat more, and I know during the winter, people eat more for sure.
2: Overall... I could say that I'm proud of Canadians, that they've done a relatively good job of thinking about this and working hard. I think that we can continue to work harder. I'm going to motivate people to do the Zoom classes and the online classes, to think about eating at home and eating healthy and eating Rose Reisman's foods, which are really healthy, and just being as positive as, as they can during this challenging time.
1: Dr. Sean Wharton, medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic in Burlington, and nutritionist and author, Rose Reisman. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We've been talking about people at home suffering with pandemic anxiety. What about those on the front lines who may also be exhausted and burned out by extra work? That's what paramedics in the city are facing, according to union leader and paramedic Mike Merriman, who joined Libby on Wednesday.
5: Well, the paramedics have been dealing with this pandemic since since last March, and it's uh, really come to a breaking point. It's taking its toll on uh, our membership. We're receiving calls from our members that are that are asking for help. They said, you have to do something to help us. This is not sustainable. We can't keep this up anymore anymore. I mean, I've actually had a member that called me that was literally in tears, Libby. Um, a grown man crying on the phone in tears that I cannot keep up this pace. I cannot do this anymore. You know, that's just not one member. We're hearing from a lot of them. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if that pulls on your heartstrings, but that call from that member certainly pulled on mine. I mean, these are these de- these are these are dedicated professionals that are that's- out there going the extra mile, you know, to help people on their worst days. And, you know, they're at their worst days now. And, you know, who helps those who are helping others? We
3: Let me just... We
5: need some relief. You know, we have members that are, uh, you know, they're unfortunately uh, exposures occur on the job and now they have to be put out of the system to do their 14-day quarantine, you know, and rightly so. We've also had 49 paramedics that have contracted COVID that obviously have to go out of the system until, you know, they, Sorry to hear hopefully, that. you know, yeah. get over COVID. We're still running at the staff that we had pre-COVID. You know, we had trouble servicing calls pre-COVID with the staff. I remember. Yeah. And now that we're in a pandemic, there's been no extra staff to, to, to offset for, uh, you know, those paramedics out of the system. And, you know, interestingly enough, we had the problem with staffing before we, did develop, you know, uh, or the city did develop or the the division developed a staffing formula. You know, they base, and they base that on certain metrics Uh, they have a formula that takes about 127 minutes roughly to do a call. So they do some math. How many calls do we do a day? And so how many paramedics do we need to adequately service the calls? And, you know, it's a, it's a loose formula, you know, it's not perfect, but you know, what wasn 't factored into that is now all the time that the PPE has to be put on and put off, taken you know for all these calls I was going ex- to
3: ask how much how much longer does everything take because of everything you have to do
5: a lot of, I, I couldn't give you an exact how many minutes it takes, but it definitely adds to that metric quite a bit because you 've got decontamination of the vehicle you have to get the, you know you have to make sure the vehicle 's uh, clean. And you know, and they have to be very diligent in taking off the PPE. I mean, putting it on as well, but taking it off because, I mean, statistically, that was proven back in the last outbreak of uh, Ebola in Africa. That's where all the healthcare workers actually contracted it, not from the patient, but from not properly taking off their PPE. So that it's you know time-consuming. Have to be very diligent. In that, and that all eats into the available ambulances out there. So I mean. The pressures are enormous. They're working. They're not. They're working through their lunches. They're working through breaks. They're they're going 12 hours or better nonstop, and it's, you know, paramedics will always go the extra mile, like they did in the uh, you know the unfortunate van attack on Young Street. They'll always rise to the occasion, but they can't go the extra mile every shift. It's just not not sustainable the whole system is uh, paramedics are getting anywhere from you know five to seven calls daily for overtime and a lot are taking it and some told me i don't need the money mike they're saying i just feel bad for my colleagues so i want to go help out that's you know the level of dedication but they are. Oh, we have no, I can't sustain this. I we can't have, keep doing this.
3: We have no doubt about that. I'm assuming that you're calling on governments to uh, hire more paramedics, right?
5: Exactly. 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 Oh.
3: Paramedic
1: Mike Merriman with CUPE Local 416. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, Doug Ford fights back against Ontario's Auditor General over his government's handling of COVID-19.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of fight back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It got ugly
1: at Queens Park this past Wednesday when Premier Doug Ford told the Auditor General to stick to number crunching and stop acting like a doctor. Bonnie Lissick's report found, among other criticisms, that Ford's government was slow to respond to the pandemic and did not offer clear guidance to local public health units. Lissick also revealed that politicians drove the decision-making process, not the chief medical officer of health, Dr. David Williams. But the premier shot back and said the Lissick's report added up to 21 pages of inaccuracies. And Dr. Williams, in fact, has been leading the response to COVID-19. The day after the report's release, Libby Snymer spoke with the Auditor General herself, Bonnie Lissick, along with NDP critic Peter Tabin's and Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca about where we go from here.
6: Uh, listen, I think the report is scathing and I think it's um, you know, I think it reinforces what many of us have been saying for quite some time. Um, I think Doug Ford has been lying to the people of, of Ontario about who's making the decisions. Um, he has not Given uh, Dr. Williams and other public health leaders uh, the chance to be uh, in effect decision makers, it's very, very complex and confusing. That's one of the findings of the Auditor General, and I think that's uh, it's, it's extremely disappointing and inappropriate. I, you know, I, I think Doug Ford, frankly, yesterday, instead of lashing out at the Auditor, should have accepted the findings, should have acknowledged that, you know, there's more work that needs to be done, and and figured out a way forward. And the path that he chose instead, I think, was Uh, reckless. And I think, uh, you know, they're very sad, very, very sad. One of the big challenges that we face since Labor Day in Ontario has has been the mixed messaging and the confusion. And I keep saying incoherence, you know, think back, I'm sure your listeners thinking back to like right before Thanksgiving, when it was completely unclear to me and my family for days, can we get together? Can we not get together under what situation and what part of the province? And so between the premier and some others that we see on a regular basis, I think that inconsistency has being a problem. One of the other pieces of, I guess, unsolicited advice that I would give the premier, and I've said this, I've said this over the last number of weeks as well, and it's weird coming from a politician to say this, but because this is a public health crisis, and because whether it's Dr. Williams, Dr. Yaffe, or a whole like we got a whole bunch of really incredible homegrown public health experts right here in Ontario. I think it would be really helpful for Doug Ford and the politicians to take just a small step back and to actually put some of those public health leaders forward so that everybody has a a strong sense that the decisions are really being made on evidence, research, science, uh, what public health leaders believe to be the case. And I think if that took place consistently, uh, I think that would be helpful. That's not to say Doug Ford shouldn't talk to the people. He should. Politicians should but we've seen other places like British Columbia where the public health leaders have been primarily in charge of communicating. And I think that would be better.
3: Let's go to Peter Tabbin's, uh NDP MPP and uh, energy critic, your take on the auditor general's report. Well,
7: it was a, a very thorough, thoughtful report and it made pretty clear that uh, we're in a situation where we have a much longer, deeper, more problematic second wave because, in fact, the Premier didn't put in place what needed to be put in place. We aren't seeing the investments. We aren't seeing the uh, political leadership actually listen to public health and implement uh, what's been recommended uh, by Public Health Ontario and... We all felt, I think, in the summer uh, that it was going to be really critical to be prepared for this second wave coming in the fall, and we weren't. Uh, and that's extremely disturbing, both because of the, the threat to human life, but also to people's jobs and livelihoods.
3: Bonnie Lissick, uh, welcome. Uh, I, I don't know, have you ever, uh, I, I'm sure governments don't love hearing from you, but uh, have you heard angry responses like that before? The type of
4: work uh, that we've done and the reports that we put out are consistent with the work that we've done before, so there shouldn't be any surprises around that. Um, we do, uh, we call it a value-for-money mandate, but it's looking at systems, processes, communication, uh, governance, anything uh, that's involved in, you know, programs and that. And so we look at that to make recommendations to improve things, look for continual improvement. So... You know, sometimes you have to look backwards and say what was done in order to um, go forward uh, stronger. You know, I hope uh, people that read the reports find them uh, interesting and, uh, and uh, useful, uh, you know, going forward.
1: That was Libby Snymer's conversation on Thursday with Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick, NDP critic Peter Tabins, and Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. During the pandemic, Ontario's optometrists have been calling for greater supports from the governing Ford PCs at Queen's Park. Eye patients have been encouraged by the Ontario Optometrists Association to visit SaveEyeCare.ca, where you can submit an open letter to the health minister, your local MPP and Premier Doug Ford to save eye care across the province. Dr. Sheldon Salaba is president of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. He joined Libby on Thursday to talk about the advocacy and how these healthcare practitioners have been struggling to cover costs and treat patients amid COVID-19.
8: You know, I feel fortunate that optometrists are still able to be um, operating and conducting um, eye exams in those regions, but uh, it's definitely... Um, something that's hitting everybody in that area hard. We're able to see people, but I think that the the biggest challenge for us is um, patients being able to access our services because we have such limited capacity in order to see them. And when it comes to um, patients who are covered through OHIP, because of the funding gap being so big between what the government pays and what it costs us to to deliver the service, it really um, prevents barriers where we have to be careful in the amount of OHIP patients that we're seeing on any given day in order to allow our practices to be able to um, pay their bills and be able to survive in this environment.
3: What are the biggest issues in terms of that? What are what, I mean, I know that you can see fewer patients. Uh, is it uh, rent? Is it PPE? What are the biggest issues?
8: About 70% of our practices are OHIP-insured patients, and we get paid about, uh, um, on average, $44 to see those patients. And um, if there's somebody who's had an exam in the last year and they're coming in for a partial appointment for something that would be considered an emergency, those people were getting paid for um, around $25. So I think the biggest challenge is when the average office would be able to accommodate about a 10, 10 appointments a day. Um, we have to be really careful that we're not seeing um, an abundance of those $25 exams because it's just not physically possible to pay our operating costs, like our staff, our rent, all of those types of things that are required in order to um, keep the doors open and operate our clinics.
3: What would the issues with some of those uh, emergency type visits be?
8: Oh, it'll be anything from red eyes to flashes and floaters, which could be as serious as a retinal detachment. Any of those acute things that can develop with the eye where um, somebody catches a virus in their eye, um, they get an eye infection, they get um, a foreign body in the eye, any of those types of things.
3: Uh, are, are people having to go to emergency with those issues now?
8: We try to accommodate... Um, as many as we can, but I think that there still are a lot of people that would have to access the emergency system because our schedules are so restricted and lots of offices um, will have long wait time. So in order, it, it's very difficult for us to squeeze people into our schedules the day of because of COVID protocols, because um, it makes it next impossible to maintain social distancing. Like everything that we're doing in our, Daily routine have to be very structured in order to keep people safe. So um, there is overflow where people aren't going to be able to access their services, and um, they would be need they would need to be seen by a different provider.
3: What would you like to leave us with?
8: I think the the last patient sort of pointed out the importance of things that can come from having your eyes examined, and um, I'd just like to encourage. Um, the public to, to value these services and make sure that their elected officials know that they do because this is something that they need to um, provide some of their time to and actually work to create a sustainable system um, to continue to help people. And, uh, you know, like I had said before, our website at saveiicare.ca gives you an easy platform in order to do that. And if you're seeing your optometrist in your office, please find those petitions.
1: Dr. Sheldon Saliba, President of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. For more information, go online to saveeyecare.ca. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Norm in Cambridge, phoned to talk about weight gain during the pandemic.
9: We've been uh, eating more, uh, and in fact, I've been doing some of the cooking, and we just uh, seem to be have bigger, bigger meals, and that's the way we've been uh, we've been settling in. But uh, certainly, you need to have some form of hobbies or exercise. We've but what have to you it. been?
3: cooking healthy stuff or or not so healthy stuff
9: not so much healthy stuff or you know we're meat and potatoes type people and uh we both said we're we're eating more and in fact we just talked to each other we gained weight we don't uh, look at the scales but i think we have uh, gained some weight over it so i guess the key is uh, exercising and and, uh, and keeping to your hobbies and what you need to do on a daily basis.
1: Gary in Aurora called about a recent experience with anti-maskers.
7: Was at a family-owned nursery in the York region, south of Aurora. You know, not that big. I mean, 20, 30 people in there at a time. So four ladies came in, you know, kind of our age, you know, 50-ish, 60 All four did not have masks on. Uh, the young man at the, at the door said, oh, I'm sorry, I can get you a mask if you don't have one. And they all kind of looked at each other and kind of giggled and just said, oh, no, we have an exemption. So the, actually the owner came down and said, listen, you can't come in the store without a mask. I value my customers and my staff. This is very serious. If you don't put the mask on, you're not coming in. And if you do come in, then I will be forced to call the police, If you don't leave the store right now, I will call the police and you will not be allowed in this store ever. And there was people around this listening to this, and they were literally clapping as these four ladies left the store.
0: And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Steve in Brampton, who phoned to say he agrees that pet grooming is considered essential during the lockdown.
9: I have a 12-year-old, uh, a little more than 12-year-old dog now. We're, we're the same age, I like to say. And he <laughs> had a number of health issues. I have him booked into the groomer every three weeks for a special shampoo and a special skin treatment because he also has a lot of skin issues. This dog's cost me a fortune this year. So he's, he's booked in like forever. It's an ongoing thing. So when Doug Ford announced the closures last Friday, I phoned the groomer Friday night and I said, are you open or not? And she said, we don't know. We don't know. I can squeeze him in at noon today, but I don't know when you'll get him back. So I took him in, had him done, picked him up at eight o'clock that night. Uh, I actually had to forego a date with a woman to take the dog in. And uh, then she told me when I Aren't picked him up. Aren't you supposed to stay at home?
3: <laughs> Pardon me? You're, you're, you're I'm I live alone. I'm okay. to go out of my bubble. Steve, Steve. cut to the chase.
9: Okay, the chase is the dog requires this kind of uh, care from the groomer. And for me, it's a it's a big deal to get the, the, the shampoo, the skin treatment, all the things, because he has issues that require, and the groomer does it, not the vet.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer.